Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Paul Young, instructor at Pragmatic Institute and your host for today's episode. The Pragmatic Instructor team, as y'all have heard before, we meet every week and we talk about what's going on in the industry and some of what we're seeing and the implications on the market. Today, we're talking about product changes. And when you make a product change, what does that impact look like? Some good, some bad. And we're going to do it through the lens of an industry that's undergoing some rapid change right now with streaming. Netflix and others have been in the news recently, not always in a good way for some of the changes that they're bringing out to their products. And we're going to talk about that. And we thought it'd be fun to have a discussion about the rationale behind some of these changes and the trade-offs that they're going to have to drive from a product perspective to help you think about this as well if you're ever faced with a situation like this in your own job. To help, Today, I'm joined by some really great minds from our instructor team. We've got Dan Corbin and Todd Middlebrook. So let's start off with a quick round of intros. For those of you listening on the podcast, you can put voices to people. And for those of you watching us on YouTube, you can put faces to names as well. So I'll start. Uh, again, my name is Paul Young. I'm an instructor with Pragmatic. I've been with Pragmatic a little over 10 years and have worked at a whole variety of companies, large and small, in product management and marketing roles, ranging from individual contributor up through executive. And I'm actually really excited about today's conversation as well, because if you go way back in time, my degree, my undergraduate degree is actually in film. And so I've got a little bit of a business background here, educational background. Uh, I was a software engineer and, and now, I, now I teach people how to, how to do this stuff, which is really fun. Uh, so that's me. Uh, let me kick it over to, to Dan Corbin so that y'all can meet him as well. Thanks, Paul. I have to mention that like, I, the fact that you were a film major always cracks me up because uh, as I'm sure we'll probably touch on at some point, your taste in films is quite out there. <laughs> some of the, your, your love of bad movies kind of makes me wonder what you were actually learning at college. Uh, but my name, uh, Dan Corbett, fellow pragmatic instructor. I, like Paul, uh, have worked at a variety of different companies, lots of different sizes across a wide range of industries. I've been teaching product management and being an advisor for over seven years. And I love diving into discussions like this. This is a really interesting topic. And I think we're going to have a lot of different ways to kind of look at what are the changes that Netflix is making? What are the backlash that they've seen? And how might they move forward? Over to you, Todd. All right. Well, I am Todd Middlebrook. I'm also one of the instructors here at Pragmatic. Been here longer than Dan, but not here as long as Paul. I think I'm going at nine years, nine and a half years. 
And prior to being a pragmatic, I've been in many different roles. I started way back at a little company called CompuServe. Yeah, that's for the old people in the room. <laughs> Doing technical support, answering the phone call when people mistakenly thought their CD-ROM was a cup holder. Those were real phone calls. And then uh, ended up going into technical sales roles, some early uh, marketing roles at IBM, or at least a division called Tivoli Systems. And then did a startup here in the local Austin area, focused on what we would now call uh, software as a service, but we didn't have that term back in the early 2000s. And ended up leaving that and spent a decade at Microsoft. Again, various individual contributor roles and eventually leader of product teams there before coming back to Texas as a VP of product. And now been spending the last nine years getting to share the stuff that made my career with fellow students. So it's been a blast. Fantastic. Fantastic. And we're the, we're the Austin crew taking over the podcast for this week. All three of us are in Austin, Texas, <laughs> our hometown. So we're representing all the good barbecue, all the good live music. And that's all about what we are down here in Austin. And this time, the only part of the country that's not under ice and snow. So uh, <laughs> we're the only instructors available. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And you know what they say about the weather? If you don't like it, just wait a minute. It'll change. All right. So let's dive into what we're going to get into today, which is the streaming industry, specifically with Netflix. They recently announced a fairly impactful change to their service and to their product. And, you know, Dan, I was hoping maybe you could kind of walk those that, that haven't been following the news around what, what is this change they've announced and what, what is the impact that this change might have? Sure. So traditionally, Netflix has been pretty loose in terms of their enforcement around password sharing. And they've even, you know, kind of winked at this in the past and kind of with their social media. And it's been part of their growth strategy. They, you know, they wanted people to be able to see like the content that they're creating to get buzz around shows. But the market has shifted. There's a lot more competition. They really had the runway to themselves for quite a long time. But if you've been following at all, you know that there's so many different players in the streaming wars now. So uh, they recently, I think it was in last year, they started to see a, an actual dip in their subscriber base. So they weren't just slowing their growth, they were actually losing subscribers. So after being a darling, like an internet darling, they're one of the FANG companies, they're the N in FANG, you know, they saw their stock price take a hit. So in order to combat against that and to really try to boost their bottom line and to show the strength of their business, they said, all right, well, let's look at some of the places where we can start to improve our revenue. One of the obvious places was to start cracking down on the password sharing and to put certain limitations in place and options. If people did want to share their password, they could do it in a way, but maybe have to kick in a little bit of extra. The problem arose, though, is that the rollout has been less than smooth. And it's caused a lot of people who are really gotten used to being able to just piggyback off their parents or whoever's account. They really don't like some of the things that they've heard about these pending changes. So that backlash has been evident on things like Twitter and TikTok. And so there's still to be seen like exactly how they're going to roll it out. There's been some speculation. I think we're getting a better sense of it. But that need to improve the bottom line at one of the features that people loved most about the service has caused a lot of consternation, especially the people who are used to being able to stream for free. Absolutely. And they're not alone in this, by the way. This is not like something that's unique to Netflix. I, I know that there are other there are other streaming services out there mm -hmm. that have been grappling with this too, not just in like traditional content that you sit down to watch, like live sports. Yep, absolutely. I know for 
I'm a big NBA fan. I subscribe to the league pass every year. And I used to give out my password willy nilly to anybody because they didn't check. They didn't care how many people were simultaneously logging in. And I want to thank you for that, Dan. I really appreciate that. What's that? I'm still using that password. Oh yeah. No problem. No problem. Listen, I got your back, Todd. Listen, we got to keep, got to keep up on our spurs. The uh, views expressed on this podcast (laughs) may not represent those of pragmatic. I was joking. So, but one of the things I noticed at the end, it was actually happened in the middle of the season. They started to crack down. But what was interesting is when they started to limit the number of devices that could be logged into an account, the next year when they rolled out the new pricing, they had much stricter limits in there, but the price came down. So it seems like their strategy at the NBA League Pass is, hey, we're not going to let you pass it around to as many people as you want. However, we are going to make it cheaper for you. And they offer different levels where, you know, essentially add-ons where if you didn't want, you could skip ads, you could be able to tune into NBA TV, which is, you know, primarily just on cable. So they kind of changed their enforcement of passwords, but they also did it in a way where they gave the users more options to choose from. So it's almost like we're going to, we're going to cut the price, but we're going to make it up in volume a little bit, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Well, and I find it interesting uh, if we just go backward in time, two or three years, a little thing called a pandemic, everybody's sitting at home. I don't know about you guys, but the the number of streaming services that I personally subscribe to jumped from Netflix, Amazon Prime to F1 TV. Mm -hmm. I actually like racing, not NBA, Paramount, Hulu. And I was just, as you were talking, trying to think, how many of these services am I actually subscribed to? And I honestly don't know, but I, I would imagine it's probably getting close to 10. And how they were, as we say in Texas, living high on the hog. More subscribers, how many of these services rolled out from Disney Plus and others during that same period of time? It was just like this perfect storm. But now at the latter part of this pandemic, this desperation to have the the same number of subscribers and finally bring profit. I wonder if a lot of that is the that motivation to start looking at that business model. And, mm-hmm. you know, Paul and I teach the pricing class. And we, one of the things that we like to say is, you know, people don't like to feel punished. They like to feel rewarded when it comes to price and giving everybody everything and then starting to limit how many, t- how many devices that you can log into or how many connections or out how often, you know, all these different things that Netflix and others are playing. I don't find it surprising that they're even taking very loyal customers and causing agitation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it perhaps feels a bit disingenuous because like you said, Dan, they were kind of, this is not something that Netflix was unaware of for a long time. Yeah, they were fully aware. Yeah. They were aware of it. They knew. And they knew that you knew. And I mean, let's be real. Everyone who shared a password on Netflix knew that what they were doing probably wasn't like the right thing to do, quote unquote, the right thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you did it. And so now after years and years of that being the status quo, all of a sudden it feels like, well, they're going to pull out the rug and change the game on you now. It doesn't feel so good, you know, if if that's the way you thought it was going to be. So I think that's I think that's led to some of the the reactions that we're seeing out there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think that's, it's that change and it feels like, yeah, I, I think you can be feel a little bit portrayed and it's easy to see just from the business perspective, like, hey, there's actually a federal law that prevents you from doing this. And, you know, and there's other state laws that prevent it as well. But, you know, it's, hey, I thought we had this agreement. Wait, wait, why? Like now to Todd's point, I'm feeling punished. Why, what did I do? Yeah, if you change the rules of the game halfway through, nobody feels like they're playing the right game. They're, we're not playing the same game we played anymore. Right, right. right. It, it creates this feeling of unfairness. Yes. And when you create that feeling of unfairness, you know that's when people start to get mad. And when they get mad, they leave. Uh, and you said that they lost some subscribers, right? Right. Yep. That was before this occurred. That was probably a result of coming out of COVID. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a year ago when they they raised their monthly subscription price. That gosh, the number escapes me off the top of my head, but a couple million subscribers, I believe, within the month of announcing their price increase. Maybe one yeah, they lost one point two million, and that was it, it, it spanned over like two quarters. But that was the first time that ever happened. Now they subsequently were able to go and boost those numbers, and they've actually they're mm-hmm. at an all time high. But they realize that the environment that they've been operating in is changing. There's obviously a lot more competition. I think that there's an agreement across all of the streamers that we can't just maintain this insane number of the content, the level. I mean, I I don't, again, I wish I had the exact number, but I think that they're on average putting out almost a new movie every week from Netflix alone. You add that and then you think about like what Apple TV, Amazon, uh, Paramount Plus, HBO, HBO Plus, all of the other ones. I, 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 Todd, I have the same problem as you. As you were going through, I'm like, wait a minute. Am I, I think I'm still subscribed to all of those. Yeah. So the market has changed and they realize we need to change with it if we are going to continue to be the leader in this space. But let's also be clear, not all the changes that Netflix has rolled out have been poorly received. You mm-hmm. mentioned, I, I think, Todd, you mentioned the ad-supported yep. tier. That one's actually done really well. Does it? Yeah, they've gotten a lot of subscribers out of that that maybe wouldn't have wouldn't have come otherwise. And one of the things that you know we always like to talk about with with an ad model is that willingness to pay for a product isn't always about giving money. Right. It's about giving something that people value, which in the case of ad supported is their attention, watching an ad or whatever that might be. And so yeah, I mean they're they're making money off the ad model. They wouldn't have it otherwise. Yeah, they're doing pretty well. The initial results from their ad base sales and the number of subscriptions surpassed what they had expected. And I think that we're going to see, and that, that kind of goes into a larger topic about like ad supported businesses. And I think there's been certain privacy changes that Apple has made and with online. And if you think about like for Netflix, it makes sense. And they for a long time said, we're never going to do that. We're never going to have ads. But they also know so much about people. And they, that's very valuable to the people who want to, you know, be able to reach out to those people. So being able to slash the cost in exchange for ads, you know, that it maybe in the, it didn't make sense in the past for them, but going forward, it seems like it absolutely is a, a home run for them. Well, it sounds like it reveals that there's a whole segment of the market that had a low willingness or ability to pay. Mm-hmm. And that, that was money that they were leaving on the table, but by supplementing what they were getting directly from those customers as far as the subscription fee with ad business. I mean, smart decision, but they they didn't take anything away from somebody. They gave somebody a service that they didn't have today. Yeah. Right. And 
I, I'm sure that that the rolling out the ad supported business before they started enforcing the password changes was not by accident. It was very, very deliberate. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. And I'm betting that, I mean, I would love to see the business plan, but I'm betting you that they're counting on some percentage of those ad subscribers are going to convert to paid, you know, and we, we have an ad supported Hulu account and, you know, it's really weird when you sit down and you put on the ad supported Hulu account after you've been working on Disney or, or Netflix and all of a sudden mm-hmm. an ad pops up and you're like, what, wait, wait, what? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and so, you know, every, every once in a while I have a conversation about like, Hey, we really need to like, come on. Like it's three bucks a month more. Like, let's, let's just do that. But let, let's get that. the same thing just happened with YouTube premium. My daughter logged on to YouTube and I did not give her my password. And uh, she wanted to show me a video and all of a sudden there was a commercial and I'm like, Oh my God, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it yeah. is and jarring because I, I have the premium offering. Uh, uh, these are what we refer to as first world problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, here's the fun thing that like speaking of like kids and reactions to ads and stuff. Nowadays I've gotten so desensitized to ads or, or actually maybe it's the other way around more sensitized because we don't see them. But when I put on live sports, like watching a football game or whatever, it's like, that's normal. Uh, you mm-hmm. kind of expect to see him there because live sports, but my son who's, 12 going on 13. When we were watching a football game the other day, he's like, dad, just go past the commercial. Come on. on." And I'm just like, ah, uh, sorry. (laughs) You don't get it. Like you can't, this is live. What's that? Every parent of this generation's had to stop and have that conversation with their kid. This is called live television. I don't have any control over what's going on here. Exactly. Well, let's get back for a second to the uh, the password sharing thing and and that change specifically because I want to deconstruct it a little bit. There's been a lot of reaction to it in the market, and, and I don't necessarily know that this is unique to Netflix. Whenever any company of size rolls out any change mm-hmm. to their product, to their pricing, whatever, like whenever Meta rolls out a change to the Facebook UX or or Insta UX or whatever, there is screaming people all over Twitter talking yep. about how it's the worst thing ever. I'm never going to log into it again. And then two weeks later, everything's fine. So maybe this will be the same, maybe not. But how would y'all characterize the reaction to this password sharing policy that Netflix has introduced that you've seen out there in the market? Dan? Well, I was going to say, when I saw the reaction, it reminded me uh, a lot of when you initially saw things that, like when people changed the algorithm for how things were displayed and sorted on Instagram or Twitter. The, I remember like way back in the day, people had petitions to try to get, oh, let's go back to the way we was. Tell Facebook. Here's the thing, though. Netflix is a very data-driven company. They know what they're doing. So they know that there's going to be certain trade-offs, and they haven't made this decision without looking at a lot of data to figure out, all right, what is the likely output of this? So there's a lot of planning and tension I do think that they had to anticipate that people weren't going to love this because to Todd's point, it feels like they're being punished and something is being taken away. But they still went forward because they probably had that underlying evidence that said, this is the right way to go forward. And even though we may take a short hit of the upfront, long-term, this is beneficial for the business. Yeah. Yep. You know, there's kind of two different concepts we're playing there. The psychological reaction of unfairness versus some people's uh, aversion to change, right? I was at Microsoft when they changed the ribbon of office and everybody hated it. 
but usage of the capabilities of Office skyrocketed because of the features that got added had been in the product for years, but nobody knew where they were. But people still screamed about it. So it, right, when Facebook changed your, well, remember it was called your wall? And yeah, it was, it was the, a new speed. Yeah, yeah and, and it was in the order of as they came in. There was no algorithm back behind it. There, you know, there's that change. I think the difference here is they hit that, went beyond the, the fear of change, and they hit that unfairness. This is not... They hit, they hit your wallet. Yeah. You've taken something away that was a, unspoken, but a part of our agreement. And I would say I would characterize the reactions that I've read and seen. I personally could care less, but what I've seen, I would say is, is definitely negative, And it's more of that unfair. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you? I mean, we, we were discussing this in the context of like, they're cracking down on password sharing, but I would characterize this as a pricing change. Mm-hmm. It, it's a pricing change. Yep. You know, if, if you had two people sharing one account at $15 a month, really they're both paying $7 a month. Yeah. Right. And now that we crack down, you know, you got a choice to make. Do you not buy? Do you go to the ad model, in which case you're paying just not with money? Or do you pay 15 bucks a month for yours? And so it, I think of it as a, you know, it's a pricing change being enforced by other means, which is kind of interesting if you think about it in that way. Yeah. I would characterize the response that I've seen also as, as very negative, which, you know, maybe isn't super surprising whenever we are dealing with issues of money. You know, people get upset about that. You know, people don't like to have to pay for stuff that they weren't having to pay for before or the unfair, unfairness thing where they have the perception of unfairness. For the purposes of today, we went out and gathered before the pod a couple of those reactions. And so I, I brought them here today. I want to play one for you. And we sought out to gather reactions on this change from the most balanced and even keeled of sources, TikTok. Uh, so uh, of course we went to TikTok and we found some really good stuff. So let's listen to this creator on TikTok. She goes by the name of Crutches and Spice. So I'm hey, wait, this is monumental. I'm about to watch my first TikTok. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to play it here so we can have the audio. I don't know if the video can get cut in or whatever, but like I'm going to play the audio and then uh, we'll, we'll go through and kind of deconstruct because she makes a it, this is like a minute long, but she makes a bunch of different arguments in here. And I think some of them are, are spot on and some of them are ridiculous. But it, it, you know, always fun to have something to react to. So let's listen to uh, Crutches and Spice. Netflix is going to be part of the top 10 of around to find out that we've ever seen. Netflix's greatest asset is that it originated the genre, so to speak. It was the first major streaming platform with original content. And the news of a lot of that content spread because of people sharing accounts. People don't know about you unless they talk about you. But now there's competition. And the quality of Netflix's content lags beyond its competitors. Sure, they can get a lot of big name talent every so often. But those moments are flashes in the pan and they don't really instill brand loyalty. And they're obsessed with this idea that the reason they're not making money is because people share accounts. Which has never been it. It's never been it. The problem is that Netflix is never built to compete. And rather than realize that, they would like to put all their energy on punitive measures against their customer base during a cost of living crisis. As people are cutting extras like entertainment from their monthly bills. And during these traumatic times, who wants to check in with Netflix every month? All right. So there's a lot going on there. So first of all, let's start overall. Like, what do y'all think of the argument this this creator, Crutches and Spice, is making here? Well, you you have a film background. What I didn't mention is I have a BS in psychology counseling. 
<laughs> and so what I zeroed in on was her emotional response and the language that she used right out of the gate, misunderstanding the relationship that Netflix has with their customer. She is upset about it. Also, the language of punitive measures against their customers. She, I thought she was starting to make another argument with, hey, well, maybe their content's not as good as their competition. She started to talk about, but then quickly abandoned it and went right back to the punitive measures. And so I think, again, an emotional unfairness response. Her argument, Ed, it's hard to argue against emotions, mm -hmm. right? Whether she's right about their business model, she's telling you how she's perceiving the, the change. Mm -hmm. Perception is reality, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't matter if she's, if she's correct or not. I mean, I'll, I'm going to argue against a lot of what she's saying here, but it, it doesn't really matter. It's what she feels. Yeah. Yep. And if yep. she feels like she's wronged in some way, she may cancel her account. And <laughs> Netflix can whistle all they want about, you know, them being correct here. But if the market disagrees, then that's the way it is. Yep. Yeah. I mean, just going through and listen, the, the emotions took out to me. Of course, I'm kind of, you know, my sometimes Spock-like brain went straight to the analytics. And I'm like thinking about breaking it down. I'm like, well, I mean, she started strong. She's like, yeah, they had a great first mover advantage. They really, they were exclusive to the space for a while. Obviously it's a crowded space now. Some of the arguments she made though, from about trying to make it about the business and how this is going to harm their business. It was from a very, that emotional standpoint, because, you know, she mentions their content and she says things like, you know, people, well, like, you know, almost the argument that, well, by sharing it, that's really how you're going to get exposure. And I think people, everyone knows who Netflix is now. Like they're not really benefiting a lot from as much as the as they did very, very early on with getting people to view their content. I mean, she does make a valid point that, you know, some of their content is great. Some of it's not. This is why you see a lot of companies and a lot of users will be like, I'm going to like my wife. It's like, hey, we stopped subscribing to Apple Plus. Ted Lasso's coming out. We're going to subscribe to that. Maybe after The Last of Us is done or after we finish The Mandalorian, we'll stop doing Disney or HBO. So there's always going to be that argument where you're going to have certain content that's going to be more popular than others. But I would say specifically, I mean, going back to my original point of, I, I really started to uh, pick apart her, her arguments when I think Todd made the right observation of like, there's a lot of emotion here. And while that emotion is very strong right now, the underlying business fundamentals, I think, are really what's going to carry out in, in the, over the long term. Yeah. And I think those fundamentals are probably pretty sound for driving the decision. They wouldn't have done this on accident. Yeah. Uh, this, this is not like some intern that flipped a switch and <laughs> all of a sudden is turning off password sharing capabilities. This was a business decision that probably went all the way up to the CEO. So guys... I think we all agree that it was probably the right business decision for Netflix and that they are a data company. But do you think the problem is how they handled it? That oh, for sure. Emotional reaction? What could they have done differently maybe to, to minimize that? This was, a, in my view, a, a failure of process mm -hmm. rather than a failure of policy. I'll hold that thought for a second. Top, because I want to I come back to like, what did they do wrong here? And, and what do they need to go 
do moving forward. Mm-hmm. I want to wrap up this this section on this creator first and the arguments that she's making here. Because like Dan, I had the similar reaction. My logical brain started working yeah. on her arguments right away. I mean, we can all hear the emotion part, which is natural. But okay, so first of all, <laughs> the thing about Netflix had first mover advantage. Yes. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody can argue with that. I think she's spot on. Netflix today has over 230 million paying customers. And you know, one of the biggest reasons they have that many was because they were first. But one of the really interesting things that she gets into here, she says the reason that Netflix was successful and got popular was because of the sharing ability across their accounts. I don't think that's true. I think no. it's backwards. Yeah. I think the reason people wanted to share accounts was because they wanted to consume Netflix content, not the other way around. I don't think people generally share passwords to accounts they're not planning to use to not watch content that they don't care about. (laughs) Um, I think she's kind of backwards on that one. The quality thing about the quality of their content, I think that's pretty subjective. You know, (laughs) the stuff I like to watch, you may not. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I I might make the argument about any streamer. Yeah. And specifically on that, to your point, Paul, like they have a wide range. So Netflix has a, like between me my daughter, who's 14, my wife, and my mother-in-law, who is 75-year-old woman from Korea. Netflix has tons of content for each of us that we're all interested in. So, I mean, yes, you may, if you just look at the hits, some may be bigger hits than others. You have your stranger things, things like that. But no matter what you're into, you're going to be able to find something probably more likely on Netflix than any other. Maybe they don't have the biggest show right now, but they've got content that's going to have a broader range than I think almost any other anyone else out there. Yeah. And they are refreshing that. Yep. One of the really interesting things, Todd, that you zeroed in on is she says something in this little TikTok about how Netflix is obsessed with the idea that the reason they're not making money is that people are sharing accounts. And, you know, deliver that in kind of an emotional way, but... It kind of belies the facts. Like Netflix is making money. (laughs) They're making a lot of it already even before this change. In in fact, to bring like some facts to the the conversation, before we started today's pod, I looked it up. Netflix net profit in 2022 was four and a half billion dollars with a B. And that's actually down slightly from 2021 where it was over 5 billion. And they did that on about 31 and a half billion in revenue. Now contrast that with Disney Plus, their largest competitor in streaming. Disney Corporation broke out Disney Plus and reported $4 billion in losses for 2022. In fact, their CFO, Christine McCaffrey, said that they don't expect Disney Plus as its own division to be profitable until late 2024. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that this is like, oh, Netflix is going to like die if they don't institute this thing. It's just they're accountable to their investors. And you know, they, they want to get every bit of revenue they think they're you know, entitled to. A billion dollars down from the previous year, you know, you have a couple of years that that's kind of hard. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Yeah. And you saw that reflected in the drop in their stock price, which, you know, they were making money, but not to the, the expectations. And I think that Netflix, they know that they have to keep the, like any good business, you have to keep your customers happy, but they also are accountable to shareholders. So they're trying to walk that line right now. Yeah. And you'll find lots of other examples of different creators, you know, on TikTok making different arguments about, you know, streamers in general and Netflix in specific about how bad they are. There's another creator on there that I found that was talking about how was a, was upset about how one of her favorite shows mm-hmm. had gotten canceled. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure everyone's had this experience, right, where your show got canceled and was really upset about that. But it's just it wasn't right. Was it? 
That's still going okay. No, dry. I think I think you're okay. I think you're okay. The, the the metrics would say that you're okay. And now there's a new one that is by those creators on on golf. I think. Ah, but season yeah. five came out today on Netflix. Okay. All right. This hey, makes your people don't think we're disparaging Netflix. No, I I have not full disclosure. I have not watched Drive to Survive, so I'd oh. like. I, okay. I guess that's one that I should take a look at. We'll take a sidebar on that one. All right, fair enough. I want to go back to your question, Todd. What went wrong here? If we agree, I th- it sounds like we agree that this is like maybe the right decision for them from a business standpoint yep. to get the revenue that they're perhaps missing out on. But what was the failure here? Well, one of the things that I'll make note of, because it goes back to one of the things that, that when I was starting off and saying, kind of talking about the, how they started to introduce the new password change. One of the things that got leaked out was that they were going to require people to log in to the home network of whoever owned the account. So if you were, you know, in Florida and you know, uh, you were sharing with someone in Texas, somehow they're going to have to log into your account like into your network every 31 days. Now you can easily imagine how that would be really a big pain for people who maybe don't, you know, just reside in one house. The people who maybe have more of a little bit of a nomadic or, you know, travel lifestyle mm-hmm. or a kid at college. Yep. Yep, exactly. Now, that showed up on a, a help center page and they since updated it and they said that, oh, that's actually only applies to three very specific companies where they're doing a test. Now it seems that the route that they're going to go is, hey, you can log in, but we're going to send you a passcode that you need to send to us or we'll text this to you. You enter the passcode, you've got 15 minutes. This is the type of validation that we see a lot of uh, people use. So. I know Amazon has something similar when people are new device, let's let's get the passcode. So that was part of it. So it was this this idea that not only was it going to, you're going to start charging me, but you're going to make the hurdle so high, it's going to make it really, really difficult. So I think, you know, people reacted upon that. That just kind of added on to it. And it was easy thing to pile on because. You know, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a very elegant solution that people thought they were going to be forced to go through. So that was part of it. But I mean, there was obviously other things that they didn't handle properly when kind of communicating these changes. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I think I've read the uh, press release when it was initially announced and then mm-hmm. press articles written in response to it, as well as the anecdotal stuff like we've already described. So it seemed to me that. In this sense, they underestimated the emotional response that they were going to get and treated it like any other announcement, mm-hmm. um, like like the price increase of last year, where you kind of just want to pull the Band-Aid off yep. and know that you know, there'll be a wave of attention, but it'll eventually go down. But this seems to still be a source of agitation. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they could have started a campaign to socialize proposed changes much more in advance to get people to become more accustomed to the notion of it before, whether they could have made, I know they did a little bit of this, but some arguments of why this is the right thing to do, that they sell subscriptions to their service. People are giving their service away for free. That's not fair to us. I know it's hard to to get a lot of sympathy for a four and a half billion uh, or maybe, yeah, won't, won't someone please think of the four and a half billion dollar company, but maybe they could have framed it differently by saying, by allowing all these free riders on the service, 
that is forcing us to keep our prices higher for you, the paying yeah. customer. Yeah. Because we have to carry their costs. Like the bandwidth to stream to two households is double that to stream to one. And if you're talking about like 4K, it's not insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore, you know, we weren't going to raise prices from 15 to $16 a year until next year, but now we're having to do it now. Yeah. Maybe by framing it in that way, it would have been... Yeah, basically show that how this is hurting you too. Right. Yeah. This and and this is the value that you're going to gain from these changes. And going back to the example that you guys just talked about, Paul, where people are upset when their shows are canceled. Well, you know, the fact that they have they lost half a billion dollars in revenue is obviously going to make them have to make certain decisions in terms of what content they continue. So that's another way that you could have shown those the end users, hey, there's some benefit to the unit. We're not doing this just to line our pockets. But they really didn't communicate that. And I think Todd's exactly right. They've raised prices in the past. They know how to handle that sort of rollout and that messaging. But this is a different change. And I think they tried to maybe do it in a similar way without telling the larger story. And without that larger story, people naturally reacted in a very negative fashion. Yeah. Todd, you teach our launch class. And I was thinking about that as we were talking about this. If they had treated this like a launch, are there any lessons from how we think about launching things that maybe could have like mitigated risk or maybe a better outcome here? Well, uh, it, what we were just discussing is is really understanding the the perception advance. So, you know, talk about awareness studies, perception studies. They could have gone and tested this in advance to, to know what they were going to confront. And, you know, some people call it fertilizing the lawn. They could have started with perception campaigns to, to highlight how this is hurting you as a consumer, how we're going to have to raise prices. I mean, they could have done all of this in preparation and, and fertilize the soil in advance of the decision. Actually, I thought your question was going to be something different when it came to a launch. And this, I'm curious, maybe you've seen this and I haven't, but I'm surprised that one of the less mature streaming services, whether it's Disney Plus or one of the that is trying to get all the subscribers that they can get, hasn't done what we call a displacement launch, where they basically point at this announcement of Netflix and says, how could they do this to you? How dare they? (laughs) How dare they? Just And you know what? Forget Netflix. You should jump over to our service and and make some commitment to how we're not going to track that. You're not going to have to log into your home network. Or, or maybe like buy one login, get one free for a year or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's a myriad of things that somebody could have done. But, but to my awareness, I haven't seen anybody do it. And it seems like a missed opportunity. Mm, interesting. And I think part of that might be with they realize that Netflix probably let this go on for too long. This is something they probably should have addressed earlier because like I know, you know Disney has certain, you know, all the other ones have certain limitations baked in, in a way that Netflix didn't. I haven't tested all of them. So I I don't want to say that definitively, but I think part of the problem may have just been that, you know what, they waited too long and people really got comfortable. And now you're doing a major kind of change to how they've been, you know, consuming their content. Yeah. Sometimes I describe that as like the concrete starts off wet and you can still move things around a little bit, but then eventually it solidifies and you have to take a yeah. jackhammer to break it up. So it, it almost sounds like that, that the concrete solidified 
yeah. around that behavior. And now it's gotten so solid that they're having to take the jackhammer and break it up to change things and yeah. pour it over again. See, yeah, uh, Disney Plus has always had limitations in the number of devices. Some of the newer services looked at that and w- learned, but they launched their service with those restrictions, so they're not making any change. But you're absolutely right. The the, the cement has dried, and they waited too long, and now they're having to make this change that is going to be painful, destructive, and perceived as you're changed. What she say? You're, they're changing the relationship, the fundamental relationship that they've had with their customer. That's right. And as Darth Vader says, pray, I don't change it any further. <laughs> um, all right. So let's kind of wrap this up today for everybody who's listening or watching you. So Dan and Todd, you are now CEO of Netflix or, or chief product officer. So Reed is out. I guess Reed was already out, but you're in. And all the stuff we just talked about, about like how it should have been done. Yeah. Forget about it. That it, we're, We are where we are. So what would you do now facing the situation that, that Netflix is in? Like, where would you go from here? How about you, Dan? You go first. Well, I think the messaging needs to be improved. And I think that the, they, you need to tell that larger story about the, the other options that are available, the benefits that you get out of it. Maybe to go back and to try to make up for some of the negative emotions that they stoked maybe they can introduce some sort of grandfather rule or something like that. But I think they need to do a better job with their messaging to tell the full story and to show like that this overall is going to be great for you. And especially if you have shows that you love, if you love what you're seeing on Netflix, this is going to help ensure that we can still be the best storyteller out there online. And they need to show that their ability, their storytelling ability with these changes that they're making. I couldn't agree more. Exactly right. I would add to it, don't change your mind, right? But you can find something in the middle. I would look at uh, any of the measures that might be perceived as particularly draconian, like perhaps the connecting to a home network every 30 days and concede a a, a little bit of that. Go, Yeah, that was a little heavy handed. But Mm -hmm. that's only in companion with what you just said, Dan got to tell that story. You got to say, what does it matter to you? What was the pain that you didn't realize you were experiencing? And what are the benefits that you're going to get as a result of this? Yep. But look, the, as also Paul said, the semen is dried. They just cracked it. It's painful. But if they go try to go back, it's, it, it's too late. Yeah. So let, let me add to that to, to kind of wrap it up from my side. I, I, I would suggest that we don't want to go backwards. We can only move time marches on. We can only go forwards. Right. So let's say the grandfather thing, let's do that. So we're going to put in place a one year moratorium on this change during that one year. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start looking at all the other countries that Netflix is in, especially the small ones. So let's go to Argentina and run some tests. These are like mm-hmm. little laboratories, right? Mm-hmm. Where we can run a test where the, like if if 100% of Argentina stops subscribing to Netflix, the overall impact to Netflix revenue is like 0.01%. And so like I can start messing around with some changes there to see what's going to work. What messaging do I need to think about? What technological change do I need to bring to this? And then I can adapt and go to another. So I was thinking about, Todd, when you teach the launch class, one of the things that you get into is, is bucketing your risk for migration. And if you look at like the U.S. market is like 
risky because they're both very big in terms of revenue, but also very noisy. They're the ones that are getting on TikTok and making these videos and are really pissed off. Maybe I want to migrate them last, not first. Yeah. And so, so maybe I should go and make some changes and experimentation in other places just to test things out and get it right and nail it before I scale it into the US. You're absolutely right. That's, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And, and, and a little bit surprising that it appears, at least for, as an outsider, that they didn't already do that. I actually attended a presentation of the Netflix CTO at, I think it was Silicon Valley uh, product group back in like 2014. And he, he described Netflix not as a content company, but as a technology company and how th- they have the ability to model decisions and test decisions before they make them. And that's what I think what m- made this whole thing so shocking to me is how it appeared that they didn't do that. And they, they could have done that migration strategy and learn from the mistakes in a part of the world or in a in a, a segment of the market that really wasn't didn't you know wouldn't hurt them, learn from their mistakes and then refine the process before they they subjected their greatest market segment. But uh, right, but yeah, it's not too late. But I, mm-hmm. they could have been more effective if they'd come out of the gate the right way. But uh, I think they can do some damage control. That's what they definitely should have done. Is that migration? For sure. Better to not be in this situation to begin with. Yeah. All right. Great discussion. Dan, Todd, thank you so much. That does it for today's episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching on YouTube. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. We'll see you next week.